Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen, amen. Today, as you're having a seat, get your Bible out and go with me to the book of Acts. The title of this message this weekend is Practicing What We Preach. I sincerely believe that if the church of God would practice what we preach, that we would be a whole lot bigger than we are currently today. Seats would be filled, people would be flocking to the church. And yet people see an inconsistency in a lot of Christians' lives because they look at our lives and they say, hey, well, aren't you supposed to be loving? Aren't you supposed to be compassionate? Aren't you supposed to be kind? Aren't you supposed to be living holy? And when people see Christians that don't live the way that they're supposed to be living, they call it hypocrisy, right? Because your actions and your words aren't lining up. And they say, I don't want to have any part of that. What's the point? What's the difference? You're just like me, so why should I change if it's just a title? Here we get this message from Paul in the book of Acts chapter number 20. In fact, Paul is leading some last words to live by to some leaders. He's traveling, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he wants to get there before the Passover. And as Paul travels, he calls to the Ephesian elders from a place called Miletus. They have to travel some 35 miles walking to get to him. Can you imagine that? Paul wants to talk to us. Let's go. How far is it? Oh, it's about 35 miles. Today we would be jumping in the car. Oh, no problem. We'll be there in a half an hour. No, they had to walk. But it was important for them to get there. And Paul knew that if I step foot in Ephesus, man, I ain't getting out of there. I love those people. Those people love me. They're going to be inviting me over for dinner. They're going to be asking me to stay the night. They're going to want me to pray. They're going to be drawing on me. Come on, Paul, teach us again. Come on, Paul, tell us again. Would you come over here and pray for this person? They're sick. And Paul just knows I've got to get to Jerusalem. There's something on Paul. He knows that he's on mission, that God is drawing him to something. And so he realizes that I need to get there before the Passover. And so he says, I can't go to Ephesus. So he calls for the Ephesian elders there at Miletus, and they come to him. And there on the shore, he speaks this message to them and gives them these last words to live by. He talks to them about his life. He shows them how his message and his life lined up. They were in unison. They were one. Paul practiced what he preached. And he reminds them of this here on the shore. He also gives them warnings, and he gives them a charge to watch over the flock of God, to to be there and to build the church, but also to realize that there are going to be things that come against them. Now, I want to read you these scriptures, and I'm going to warn you in advance. It is a lot of scripture, all right? I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 20, verse number 17, down through verse number 38. But I believe something about you, okay? Even those of you online, I believe this about you. I believe that you have the capacity to receive and not to turn your brain off during this time, okay? And the reason why I believe that is because they just re-released one of those superhero movies that was an old movie, but they redid it, and they made it like four hours long. It's the same movie, just longer and more boring, I think is what they, the reviewers were saying about it. So if you're sitting there at home watching your streaming service with a four-hour movie that you've already seen, I know that you can get into the Word of God today for some verses in the next half an hour. Is that Okay. All right, good, good, just making sure, because I know you guys have binge-watched all the Lord of the Rings and all the Hobbit and every other program for hours on end, and you can get a hold of the Word of God today, okay? So let's get into this, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse number 17, and like I said, we're going to read down through verse number 38. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 20, verse number 17. From my leaders he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know. From the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner 
I always lived among you. He says, you guys know my life. You've seen the message and how I've lived. Verse number 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Verse 20, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Remember, he was in the school of Tyrannus for the span of about two years teaching. Not only publicly, but privately from home to home. They got to share meals with Paul. Got to ask him questions. Got to talk to him. What do you think about this? What do you think about life? Wait, wait what does that scripture say? He says, I, I, I declared it all to you, even to my own hurt, because the Jews were persecuting me. Look at the next verse, verse 21. Testifying to the Jews, also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to come back to that verse a little bit later on as we go through the message today. Verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Verse 23. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. Verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Notice he says, pain, pressure, trials, tribulations, persecute, none of these things move me. He wasn't moved by his own personal comfort. He was moved by the will of God. He was moved by the word of God. He was moved by his conviction and his deep-seated beliefs. He says, even if I have to walk into a beating, I'm going to go there because I know that's where God is drawing me to goes on in the next verse and says this in verse 25, and indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. How could he say that he's innocent of the blood of all men? Look at the next verse. Here's the reason why he could say that he's innocent of the blood of all men. Verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of of God. Here's what he's saying. If somebody dies and goes to hell, it's not because I didn't preach the gospel to them. If somebody's life is messed up and they forsake the way of God, it's not going to be because I didn't warn them and teach them about what God has to say. I did my job. I fulfilled what I needed to do while I was there with you. So he goes on in verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now notice he uses some terms, overseers and shepherds. He's talking to leaders. He's talking to pastors. And he says, this is your responsibility. I've done my job and I'm giving a handoff right now. You've got this. You're able, you're equipped, and you can do this. But you need to watch. It goes on in the next verse, verse 29, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, and from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. We've seen this in church. We've seen people rip through our congregation. And as shepherds, we don't let just anybody come in and blurt out some message from one side of the sanctuary. We don't know that. We tell them, you be quiet. That's out of order in the church. If the person on the platform is prophesying, why would God interrupt himself? We do everything decently and in order in this church, and so we're not going to turn the ears of the entire congregation over to somebody we don't know. It doesn't work like that in this church. 
And as well, when we hear about somebody in a small group, hey, you need to come over to my house. Hey, come on and be a part of this ministry. Oh, man. Yeah, the rock's cool, but man, the, the, the real move of the Holy Ghost is going on over here. We shut those people down. We make sure to mark those. The Bible says mark those that cause divisions among you. To warn them once and then after that have nothing to do with them. Sometimes we think we got to just be, uh, you know, lovey-dovey with everybody. No, there is a real line that's drawn here in the Word of God. We do not let people take people out of a healthy relationship with God. If you're being shepherded at this church, and if you're being led by this church to the green pastures, why would I send somebody to somebody else and, and let them go over there, wander over there? You know, I don't know that they're not walking them into a slaughterhouse, spiritually speaking. They're not going to rape the church of God and just use them and abuse them for their own desires. I know I'm using strong language, but this is adult church. That's why we got the children in the youth ministry going on over there, okay? Because we can talk in these terms. Let's be adults about this. Paul said, I didn't shun to declare you the whole counsel of God. As we've seen people rising up, speaking perverse things, trying to draw people away after themselves, we raise up the shepherd's rod, which is there for protection and correction, and we run those wolves out of here so that they don't tear you apart. That's our job. Pastor, I got hurt in a church. Listen, most of the time that's not God's fault. That's not the church's fault. That's not even the good church people's fault. It's a savage wolf or a perverse person that is trying to tear apart the church. Realize this. And don't uproot from a healthy place because if you keep transplanting a plant, if it's bouncing around from church to church to church to church, eventually that plant's going to die. And it will never bear fruit in those conditions. So he says, watch. Be careful. Protect the flock. Verse 31, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. This guy had a ministry of crying. You see that? Two times in these verses he said with tears, with tears. He was weeping. He, he had a real heart and a real passion behind this. Verse 32, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified or set apart, the holy ones, the church of God that's been set apart by God. Now, we're going to come back to this verse and talk more about this a little bit later on in the message. Verse 33, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Verse 34, yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. Remember, Paul was a tent maker. He worked, he was bivocational while he was there with them. Working and then going and preaching in the school of Tyrannus, then going back to work and then going from house to house. This man was a hustler. He was after it. He was doing his job. Verse 35, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now we will come back to that verse towards the end of the message today. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. I need you to just get a picture of this with me for a second. Just get a picture of the Apostle Paul. He's just given them this exhortation. All of them are hanging on to every word. And then the Bible says that he knelt down with them there on the shore. Can you feel the sea breeze blowing across and the warmth of the sun, the sand between your toes and under your knees? And there Paul starts to pray. I believe that the Spirit of God was right there with them, that they felt the presence of God. And in that moment, look what happens as they're kneeling and praying, verse 37, and then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Can you, just, can you just see the heart and the passion? For three years, this man came and preached to them the Word of God. 
the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And this is the apostle. This is the one that prayed for them and they got healed. This is the one that unusual miracles were done. And yet, he was there going from house to house. And here they are, and the Bible says they fell on his neck. I mean, they just jumped on him and hugged him and kissed him. And they, they just wept openly. You know, in the Middle East, oftentimes when they wept like that, they would just be wailing, crying. Verse 38, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. They knew that they weren't going to see him anymore, and that's what made it so bitter for them. That's what made them cry harder. It's not because he was just turning the church over to them, and that was a big moment, and that was a weighty responsibility, but because he said, you're not going to see me anymore, guys. I'm going to Jerusalem. Persecution and trains and tribulations await me, and I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but I'm ready to lay down my life for this. I have shown you, I have practiced what I've preached, and now here they are embracing him and loving him. I believe as believers, we embrace this message. Remember, this is the story of us. As I was looking over these verses, I thought, my God, there's so much here, God. What do you want me to speak? I mean, we could go this direction or that direction. We could talk about the inheritance of the saints. We could talk about sanctification. We could talk about all these things. And I would encourage you sometime this week to sit down with the Holy Spirit and just go through these verses slowly. Get out a pen and paper and just listen for his voice and say, God, what are you speaking to me? And allow the Holy Spirit to minister this word to your heart. But as I was looking over this, remember this is the story of us. What do we see in Paul's word? What do we see in his practice? He practiced what he preached and he left them some words to live by. And I believe that contained in these verses are some major themes of every believer's life, that if we're going to practice what we preach, these are some words that we have to live by. What are these words? What words we live by? I, I, I want to just pull out three words today that each and every one of us believers live by. What words we live by? Number one is the word faith. Not just believing God and receiving a promise, that sort of a thing, but even in the more general sense of our faith, when we talk about the faith, right? Are you a part of the faith? That means, have you believed the message of the Lord Jesus Christ that he was the Son of God, that he came, that he died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised again to life? That is the message that we preach, and that is the message that we believe, that as we receive that message, we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, laying down our lives before him, all of your heart and all of your life, and taking up his life. That's where you're born again, that that message has the power to save us, Right? There's nothing that we could do to earn it, nothing that we could do to earn God's favor or his grace in our lives. No, we have to simply believe and receive. And as we lay down our lives before him, now all of a sudden by faith we take up the life of God on the inside of us. And now we live out from that place of faith. See, when we live by this word, it causes a radical life change. In other words, you will never be the same when you're a person of faith. Why? Because where you used to believe the worst... Now you believe the best. Where you used to believe whatever you heard out there in the world or on the news media, you were swayed by social media. You were swayed by the social systems and the education systems and the economic system. Now, as a person of faith, you are swayed by the Spirit of God. None of these things move me. No, I've got faith in an almighty God who can provide, who can save, who can deliver, who can heal, who can restore. It's a radical life change. When you're a person of faith, when you get a hold of what God's word says and you simply believe and receive, it changes the world that you live in. And you're never the same. It's a supernatural life in this life of faith. 
Paul points to his own life to show how they ought to live and to show how much he believed the gospel that he preached. And this is significant to us here and now today because why? Because we know the life Paul lived before he was a man of faith. If you remember early on in the book of Acts, we met Paul by the name of Saul. He had a name change, but he also had a life change. And this man, this young man was proud. He was arrogant. He was zealous for the wrong cause. He was educated in the word, but he missed the point. He was mean-spirited. He persecuted the church, and he breathed out threats, the Bible says. That's how Paul was before he met up with Jesus. But once he met up with Jesus, we get to see the contrast in his life. He himself says, I was humble, compassionate with tears. He was faithful to finish the work. He was submissive to the will of God. If I've got to go into a beating, I'm going to go into a beating if that's what God wants. He was devoted to declare the word of God, and now he's not breathing out threats. He's breathing out the whole counsel of God in love and compassion and kindness, but also in sternness and in warning to them. He didn't just preach the nice stuff. Oh, let's talk about the love of God again today, guys. Let's talk about all the blessings of God. Let's talk about how by faith you can receive promises. No, he also warned them. He taught them. He exhorted them. He told them about the not-so-fun parts of the Word of God, denying yourself and repentance from dead works and sacrifice and, and, and all these things that oftentimes we don't want to do. But he said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 20, verse number 21. He says, I testified to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God. Let's stop right there and camp out for a second, okay? Repentance toward God. In some places, repentance is a dirty word. They don't like that word. Repentance. Oh, you do that once and then you don't need to do that anymore in your Christian walk. No, that's foolish. Because has anybody noticed, like, even though you got delivered from sin, you still live in a body of sin after you got saved? And you still struggle, right? And those thoughts come back and those desires come back. And, and, and every now and then you're not operating in the spirit. You start operating in the flesh and you end up doing the wrong thing. That's called sin. See, in all of our lives, as long as we live in this earth suit, we're going to be battling. There's a war going on between the flesh and between your spirit. And so there's going to be times that you're, you're going to have a desire. And with that desire comes a direction, right? And so the direction might be over here. Let's say that my sinful desire is over here. Ooh, ooh, I want this, right? And so we start heading in that direction. But that direction misses the mark that God has for you. So that's what sin is, is missing the mark. You're headed in the wrong direction. Transgression is when you cross a line. You know it's wrong, but, ooh, I really want it. And so what do you do? You, mm, 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 mm. you step on over into it, right? Now you've transgressed and you've sinned. But repentance is simply this. I was headed in this direction. And I recognized and realized by the power of the Word of God, this is wrong. This is not the direction I need to be going. You have a change of mind, and it sinks down. You get a change of heart. And here in your heart, notice you repent, you turn. Repentance is a turning. I had that change of heart in mind, and now I'm turning from my way. And look, at it says repentance towards God. I'm going to go God's way back over here. That's true biblical repentance. Now, there is another repentance that I need to address for a second because sometimes we can look at repentance as, as uh, I, I don't like this, it's bad for my health, or, or you know what, it's just not popular right now. And so we turn and we go the health direction or we turn and we go the worldly direction. But that's not biblical repentance. If I was on drugs, right, illegal drugs out of my mind, just frying my brains all the time, and I realized, you know what, this is really not healthy for me. And, and I, I don't want to be an old man having mental problems and challenges, 
And so if I just said, well, I'm going to repent for health reasons, and if God's over there and I'm going this way, have I, have I made it to the mark that I need to get to? No. See, repentance, biblical repentance is not just changing because of health reasons or, you know what, these drugs are really not popular anymore. I'm going to switch to some prescription drugs. But see, the Bible says never to be out of your right mind. You are to be sober-minded, alert, and watchful at all times. See, that word, when that word comes to you and you believe it and you receive it by faith, you turn from going your way and you repent towards God. Now, when you repent towards God, this positions you to see God. But we can't see God, right? We see the representative that God gave us. We see Jesus, the Bible says. He is our high priest. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our what? Oh, come on, help me preach this message today. Of our what? Of our faith, right? So it's repentance towards God. Look at the rest of the verse. And faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. When you have that realization, when the word of God comes to you, you turn from your way 180 degrees and you turn and you go God's way. And when you're going God's way, you see Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. And now you believe it, you receive it, and it causes the life change. That's how this works. That's how we get free from sin. That's how we can continue to go the direction that God has for each and every one of us. The radical life change starts with a radical repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And our faith is valuable to us. Our faith is so valuable to us as believers. Don't cast it aside. It's like gold, precious gold, the Bible says. If somebody was handing you gold bricks, you would hold on to that. You'd bury it in your backyard. You'd lock it in a safe right? And yet our faith, eh, whatever. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, I still do my thing. God says, don't cast aside your faith. It's valuable. It's precious. It's almost as if God, when you got saved, said, I'm giving you a million bucks. You say, wow, God, a million bucks. That's awesome. God, I, I, I'm so grateful. Thank you. God says, I'm going to call on you to spend it sometime. You say, absolutely, God. Abs- I'm ready to do your will, Lord. Whenever you call on me, If I've got the million bucks, I'll write the check. And God says, no, I I think you got the wrong idea. Because I'm not giving you this lump sum in like a check. I'm going to give it to you in quarters. Quarters, God? Why quarters? Because every day, you've got a measure of faith. Every day, there's new mercies. And every day, there's sufficient for the day it's on trouble. And every day, you're going to have to believe me. And every day I want you to get a hold of a handful of quarters. And as I bring the word of God to you, I want you to spend that million dollars. And consistency over a lifetime, you will spend that million dollars. But it's not in one lump sum. It's in a little bit faithfulness over time. That was what the apostle Paul was telling them. For three years, you watched me. For three years, I preached. For three years, everything lined up. Faith is valuable to us, but our faith is spent one prayer at a time, one moment at a time, one scripture at a time, one belief at a time, one encouragement at a time, one stepping out and doing an act of faith, because your faith will be seen in what you do. Are you listening? That's where we practice what we preach. This is a word that we live by. It's going to be seen in our lives. I can tell you what someone believes by what they do. I can tell you if somebody believes the Bible or doesn't believe the Bible. Because I'll listen to the words of their mouth, and I'll see if they line up with the Scriptures. I'll watch their actions, their activity. They're sleeping around. They don't believe the Bible. I'm a Christian, though, Pastor. I just believe that, you know, times have moved on and things are new now. God knows we have needs, and God knows what our lifestyle is like. God also knows what he said. 
I know that's not popular. I'm sorry if that offends your flesh. But guess what? I'm here to build your spirit, not pet your flesh and make you feel all good and be, be Mr. Nice Guy. I thought Pastor Dan was the nice pastor. I am. Somebody last service said, Pastor, I need to plug up some holes. You were poking at me last service. You were poking, Pastor. I need to plug up some holes. Go ahead and plug them. I'll help you because I'm nice. I'll tell you if somebody believes the word. Just give me their checkbook. Give me their bank statement. I'll tell you. I'll tell you if they believe the word. I'll tell you if they believe in generosity. And I'll tell you if they believe in tithing. And I'll tell you the difference between the two. It's a, it's a numerical calculation. I can tell if you're a tither, if it's 10%. If not, hey, you might believe in giving. That's great. But you don't believe the word of God when it comes to tithing. I'll tell you what you believe by what you do. I'll tell you if you really believe in the life-changing message of the gospel, if I see you witnessing to other people. If I see you being generous to people that will never be able to pay you back. If you believe the words of Jesus that if you've done it to the least of these, my brother, and you've done it unto me, I will tell you just by watching what you do, whether or not you believe the word of God. And guess what? You can tell it in me too. Are you listening? That's what this is all about. God gives us this great and incredible, valuable gift called faith, and he asks us every day to spend it little by little. It's a word we live by. Is anybody listening to the word of God today? Come on. Give God a praise. Second thing, second word that we live by. Second word that we live by is a great word, and it's the word grace. Grace. Oh, my goodness. This word is just amazing. We have a definition here at the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. In fact, we've got two definitions that our founders gave us. I'm so grateful for their teaching gift and that God gave them to us over the years. And we watched their lives over the years that they practiced what they preached. And they preached on this word grace and they taught us these definitions. Now, I'm going to say this. I want everybody that knows these definitions to say it with me, okay? We'll put it up on the overheads in case you forgot or maybe you miss a word or two. All right, it'll be there for you. And for those of you that this is your first time hearing this, I want you to just read it, soak it in, listen to it, and then we're going to say it a second time, and I want you to say it with us the second time, all right? So what is grace here at the Rock Church and World Outreach Center? Our definition is this. Grace is God's sovereign, divine ability to get the job done on my behalf when I can't do it. It's God's power in me to do what his truth demands of me, right? Now, you may have said, well, I thought grace was unmerited favor. Can I just ask you a question? What is unmerited favor? Because we don't talk like that, do we? Hey, how's your unmerited favor doing today? Pretty good. But if I was to ask you, what does it mean to be unmerited? You'd say, um, hmm, un, undone, uh, it's, it's loose, it's, uh, it's open and favor. If I do you a favor, so it's a free favor. It's, it's all right, it's a casual definition. Unmerited means that you didn't earn it, right? It means that it's free to you. You didn't deserve it. And favor, the favor of God means that there is a blessing or there is a ability on your behalf. And so I would say that's an accurate definition, but it's probably not the best definition. So that's why we define it as God's sovereign divine ability to get the job done on my behalf when I can't do it. It's God's power in me to do what his truth demands of me. It's not just for salvation. It's for every day of your life. Because you have faith in God and you believe God, you believe his word, but there has to be power behind it to perform. And that's the grace of God. To where when you can't, he can. Where you reach the end of your rope, God's got a whole lot more rope. Is anybody listening? So let's say this again with that understanding. What is grace? Everybody say this with me, even online. Come on, say it. It's God's sovereign, divine ability to get the job done on my behalf when I can't do it. 
It's God's power in me to do what his truth demands of me. That is the biblical definition of grace. It's the power of God in our lives at work. Look at what it says in verse number 32. He says, so now, brethren, I commend you to God, and look at this, and to the word of his, what's that word right there? Grace, which is able. I love that. If we stop right there, grace is able. Grace is ability. Grace is power. Grace is like dynamite. It's a small little word, but it's power-packed and explosive and effectual. It's able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Grace will empower you. It will build you up. It'll make you strong. But not only that, it'll give you an inheritance. There's going to be something laid up for you in heaven, something waiting for you as you go out in faith and do the work of God by the power of his grace. Guess what? Things are going to happen. Things are going to change. There was a man that went fishing every day, and he'd leave boat totally empty, come back, boat full of fish. The other fishermen looked at this, and they were just in awe and shock. How's he do it? This guy must be great at fishing. After a while, though, they noticed he didn't have any rods and reels. He didn't have any lines, no nets. What's he doing to get all these fish? Somebody said, I know what he's doing. He's throwing dynamite in the lake. So they called the game warden. Game warden came out, and they said, warden, this guy has to be fishing with dynamite. That's illegal. He needs to stop it. Warden says, I'll take care of it, guys. Don't worry about it. Goes out to the docks the next morning. Meets the fisherman on his boat. Says, you going fishing today? Says, yes, I am, sir. Says, I'm coming with you. He said, all right, jump in. Jumps in the boat. They go out, and he takes him far out into the lake, far out into one of the inlets on the side. He says, this is my favorite fishing spot. All the fish come down from the river. They get caught right here in this spot in the swirl, and I catch the fish here. He says, well, I don't see any rods or reels. What are you, you going to do? And he pulls out a stick of dynamite. And he says, ah, see, I knew it. That's it. You know this is illegal. You can't do that. Man lights the match. He says, hey, what are you doing? I just told you it's illegal. You can't do that. He lights the wick. He says, stop it. Listen, that is illegal. If you do that, I'm going to have your boat. I'm going to have your license. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fine you. You could go to jail. Don't you dare do that. And all the while, the wick is going lower and lower and lower until finally it's almost at the end. And the guy says, hey, you need to throw that. Would you just stop it? What are you doing? And the fisherman hands the warden this stick of dynamite, and he says, hey, now do you want to talk or do you want to fish? For those of you that aren't laughing, you'll get that later. Just think about it for a second. He handed the dynamite to the warden. Uh, anyways, anyways, here we go, here we go. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. God has handed you a word to live by. God has handed you something that is explosive and effectual in power. And God says, do you want to just sit around and talk about it? Or do you want to actually get it in action in your life? Do you want to release the power of God in your marriage? Do you want to release it in your community? Do you want to release it in your business? Do you want to release it with your children? Do you want to just sit around and pontificate on a Sunday morning and just get built up here and then you go out there and you have no power? Or do you want to let that thing fly in your life and let the ability of God build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified? That's what we're talking about when we talk about grace. You have faith, you believe God, and then the grace of God goes into effect and causes it to be powerful, which brings us to the last one. The last word to live by is this, giving. Giving. 
You know, in church, I think sometimes people coming in, hearing the preacher talk about giving, it gets kind of a, a bad rap, you know. That all we're after is you to give and all we want to do is get. But in a world of getting, God is a giver. And when we give, we participate in the character and in the nature of God himself. There was a mom who took her daughter to Sunday school and she said, honey, I'm going uh, to give you some money because there's going to be an offering in your Sunday school class. And when the time comes, I'm going to give you a dollar and a quarter. And when the time comes, I want you to give whichever one you want to, okay? It'll be all right. And I know you'll make the right choice. So the girl skipped off into class. The mom went to church. She came back after church to pick up her, her daughter and she was so excited to see what happened. And so her daughter comes out of the class. She, she says, honey, what happened? How'd you do? What did you give? And the girl said, mommy, I, I gave and the teacher said that God loves a cheerful giver, and I knew I'd be much happier giving the quarter and keeping the dollar, so I gave the quarter. But like I said, God is a giver. God didn't need anything from humanity. God wanted our love. He wanted fellowship. He wanted intimacy. And so what did God do? God put man on the earth in a perfect environment and walked with him and talked with him and met him in the cool of the day. God provided this environment, but man separated himself with sin. And what happened? God provided. God gave. He gave his one and only son. He gave the darling of heaven, the one that was broken from his side, the most precious, most valuable, the one who had the life of God, the fullness of God was in Christ bodily. And God did not withhold Jesus. Jesus, he gave his son. He didn't withhold him from us. God is a giver. He's an extravagant giver. And God wants us to participate in his nature. And that's why it says in Acts chapter 20, verse number 35, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Don't get me wrong in this message because we need to receive. You cannot give what you do not have. If you're not ever receiving salvation and you're never saved, how can you give out the life of God? How can you give out the grace of God? How can you give out the faith that you have? You can't because you don't have it. A lot of people try to do this work in the flesh and they fail. Why? Because you can't give what you do not have. It is a blessing to receive. We need to receive, but guess what? It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's what God is telling us. He's saying you have to receive, but in your blessing being received, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Remember Abraham, right? Here comes Abraham, and God blesses him. God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, but I'm going to bless you, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Why? So you can be a blessing. It's the same thing with us as believers today. Do you know that we're children of Abraham by faith? We come into that covenant promise of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We become the sons and daughters that God promised Abraham. That means that the things that were on Abraham's life by nature, the fact that we're family, they come on our life. We now get to participate in the blessing of Abraham. That means that it is blessed to receive. It is blessed to have those things in our lives. It is blessed to be able to have the capacity to succeed. But guess what? You're not blessed so that you can get fat with the blessings of God and sit around and do nothing. No, you are blessed to be a blessing because God said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And with faith, the grace of God can do great things in your life. You can receive promises. You can have provision. 
You can go out and do powerful works, but when you start to get a hold of the fact that I'm blessed, but I need to be a blessing, guess what happens? It changes the world you live in because you start to step into radical giving where it was all about me and getting mine and what I can do for myself and, hey, I need to get saved and I need to get healed and I need to get restored and I, 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 I. It's good. It's a blessing. But there comes a moment where you start to shift in your Christian walk, where you start to tip over. Why? Because you're so full of God and the nature of God that you can't help it. I just got to help somebody. I just got to give this out. I just got to pour it out. on Somebody needs the love of God. Somebody needs to get healed. Somebody needs to hear the message of the gospel. Somebody needs what I have. I am blessed to be a blessing. These are words that we live by. And as we live by these words, guess what? Your life changes forever. And not just you, but the life of those around you. God wants us to practice what we preach. Because like we started, when the world sees a church, that their words and their deeds line up, they'll be flocking to the churches. They'll be filling every seat. There won't be room enough to receive them all. We'll be expanding the kingdom of God. That's what this is all about. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word today. Lord, we receive it with meekness, and we thank you, God, for the things that you're doing in our hearts and our lives. God, we want to live by these words. We don't want to just come and say amen and shout and hallelujah and then live like the way that we were before we came in, God. We want to be forever changed. So help us to be a people of faith people empowered by your grace, and a giving people, Lord. We thank you, God, for your spirit, for your presence in this place today. Can you just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you speaking to me personally? Let's just take a moment. Take a holy moment right now. Ask the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? This is not the time to get up and walk out. The Holy Spirit's moving in this place and still wants to do more. So I'm going to ask you to remain seated. Don't log off online right now. Come on, we just talked about not despising things that God is doing, making your faith precious, valuable. If God was getting ready to drop on you a gold brick, you'd be ready to receive, waiting for it. God's giving you something more precious, more valuable than that. He's giving you his word. What's God speaking to you? heard the word of God today. God gave you a word of scripture, maybe a phrase, an assignment, something to do. Write it down. I know if I don't write stuff down, I forget it. Maybe you want to share it with your spouse, your friend. Maybe you're in a group, people watching online together. Just share it right now. It's okay. Maybe it's appropriate to type it in the comment section. You want to just share the scripture or the word God gave you. You can do that right now. Father, we receive your word with meekness, ready to submit to it, ready to do what you've called us to do. God, we're a people of faith. Thank you for your ability, God. Impart grace to the hearer today, Lord. And Father, we'll give out those things that you've given to us. Freely we've received. Freely we give. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.